G'day Footyology listeners, Roko here. Enjoy our podcast? Well, you can become an official Footyology podcast supporter simply by using the supporter feature through ACAST. There's no subscription or regular commitment, just the sheer satisfaction that comes with knowing you've kept the debt collectors from our door. No, just kidding. It does help though. If you want to get started, you just need to follow the support this show link in the show description. Thanks again. And now let's get on with it. Welcome to the Footyology Podcast with Rowan Connolly and Mark Fine. G'day everyone, welcome to the Footyology Podcast pre-season edition, although we're not going to be saying that for too much longer. In fact, as we record this on Wednesday evening, three weeks, almost exactly to the minute, three weeks until the official start of the AFL Men's 2022 Premiership season, of course. That is not to decry AFLW, which has been going for some time now and is really building up into a uh, what should be a fantastic culmination of this season and a fantastic round just completed. In fact, completed or no, sorry, a fresh round begun only um, uh, about 15 minutes ago, as a matter of fact. So I'll bring you up to speed on that. First bit of action in the um, men's scratch match circuit. Uh, got plenty to fill you in on there, some rule stuff to talk about, some uh, vaccine stuff. There's plenty of news happening, of course, all your usual favourites. We're still doing our countdown of our favourite movies and music. We've got fantastic footy flashbacks, life hacks, you name it. We've got it, as I say. A very good evening to my co-host, Mark Fine. How are you going, Finey? Great. I've got a sense of deja vu. I don't know whether it's because... This is probably the 50th pre-season that I'm about to enjoy as both football fan and football pundit, or because you forgot to press the start button on our podcast and we've done this intro already. Either way, I've you know it's deja vu all over again, as my mate Gilbo used to say, but deja vu with you is okay, Rowan, because I like the chat. And doesn't it sound remarkably unscripted considering we've already done it once, which could be... Uh, either a tribute to how spontaneous we are or a slur at how unrehearsed and amateurish we are. I tend to think it's a bit of both myself. However, uh, we've got plenty to get through. A lot of news around. Like I said, uh, the scratch match is starting. Uh, some fantastic AFLW action over the last few days and some important administrative stuff to talk about too. Well, let's get into that right now. On Footyology Newsfeed. So the practice match is underway and uh, there's a couple on Thursday, some on Friday, right through the weekend. But the first one played on Wednesday out at the Hangar, Essendon's home of the last uh, seven or eight years now. Um, And actually got some TV action and it looked all right too. The setup was pretty good and a pretty decent standard game too it was between Essendon and the Western Bulldogs, both fielding pretty strong teams. Essendon, in the end, winning by seven points, 12-9-81 to 11-8-74. I think five goals to two in the last quarter. Um, impressive work from both teams, Finey. I think uh, from a news perspective, easily the most significant thing is Essendon immediately after this game announcing uh, the signings of the final two players who will come onto the list for the new season. 
and one of them with a very famous name of Wanganine, Tex Wanganine, son of Brownlow medalist Gavin, will be a bomber this year. And boy, that's going to excite a lot of people after his cameo in this game. Came on for the last quarter and kicked a couple of terrific goals, really sharp, crumbing work at the feet of the packs. And he looks a really exciting prospect. The other one, Western Australian Nick Martin, who's been talked about for a bit now, been super impressive over the preseason. He's a bit taller than Wanganine, a bit of a, uh, might be a little bit like uh, Alec Waterman in terms of being able to play tall for his height. Plenty of pace too, footy smarts. He did uh, his uh, little share of stuff today too, but they will both come onto the list and um, at some stage play senior football this year. And the Doggies, well, none too shabby. They were missing a few quality players, but still uh, enough stars showing enough good form to have the Dogs uh, rightly very bullish, if you'll pardon the pun, about the season ahead, as you'd expect of a team which was runner-up last season. But uh, in terms of the standard, I thought this was a pretty good uh, hit-out, Finey. Really good. Essendon supporters should be absolutely delighted, not getting ahead of themselves, but Essendon's improvement over the next three seasons, I think, is almost locked in. How quickly that happens will probably depend on two guys that were so good tonight that it might not be three seasons. They might be cherry ripe to go by the end of this year. Perkins and Cox. Look, Essendon recruited so well last year, didn't they, Rowan? And a little patience from Essendon supporters, and I think you're going to have the nucleus of a, a brilliant team going forward, those six-foot-four wingmen, versatile, but just with a little bit more strength, they become more than running machines, don't they, Rowan? Very exciting. Well, so- yeah, absolutely, and some other additions to the ranks too. Now, Kane Baldwin is one who was picked up last year, injured, so didn't really see him, but... Um, he did some very nice things up forward, so I think he'll play plenty of senior footy. Jake Kelly, of course, the most accomplished or seasoned of the of the recruits picked up thus far, and um, he uh, acquitted himself pretty well too, I think. I'll tell you what, though, the player who most caught my eye, no great surprise, is a best... That's I can tell you this is for sure. This guy's... He's in, I'm going to say something. He's in the top... 10, 15 players in the comp, I reckon. Who am I talking about? Ridley. Uh, I mean, he, he's, how good is he? He is incredibly good. And uh, he's incredibly good because he's incredibly composed and has incredibly good judgment. And uh, he took easily the two best marks of this game. One, a, a one-handed effort, just casually in between two opponents. And the other one, a real, uh, a real uh, hanger on the back of an opponent, but his judgment is absolutely sensational. And I've got to say, boy, I hope it doesn't jinx him in terms of injuries, but uh, he reminds me so much of the young Neil Danaher sweeping across halfback for Essendon in the early 1980s. Just uh, a, a terrific player already, and he's just going to get better. So he was absolutely outstanding. You know who uh, he reminds me of? Who? And this is, I cannot pay a bigger compliment to a defender. And I mean it, because it's the best defender I've ever seen, Ken Hunter. Look, he, he has a aerial confidence, and I love the way he's ab, ab, willing to fly in front of a pack or behind a pack, because he just has that beautiful judgment. He arrives and he makes 
the mark, his own. He's a good player, top 10 almost. There's a gracefulness about him. Now, yeah, look, we good. shouldn't uh, shouldn't get too bomber-centric here. Plenty to like about the Bulldogs as well. Um, uh, look, in terms of their recruits, I think they'd be pretty uh, enthused about some of the work of Arthur Jones today. Played the second half. Um, his skills look good. He's very athletic. He's got a bit of dash about him. And I think um, we know how deep their midfield is, but just a, a bit more sort of explosiveness, I think, wouldn't go astray. And uh, I think he'll be a really good pickup for the Doggies from that point of view. Aaron Norton took his uh, requisite amount of uh, hangers and uh, impressed. The other one I noticed uh, a fair bit today, and he'd sort of fallen away, got squeezed out of their best lineup for a while there. But Ed Richards uh, playing across half back today, thought he looked quite impressive as well. Um, others of note, Jamari Hagen didn't do much at all. So uh, keep an eye on that because probably needs to get a bit of a, a wriggle on, I think, if he wants to make a mark this season. Um, and the usual suspects, Jack McRae, Tom Liberatore, getting a heap of touches. So plenty to like for the doggies as well. None too shabby for them. Yeah, you know, I was particularly pleased that Arthur Jones looks like an AFL footballer because I did that research when he got drafted and picked up on the fact that he's the second Arthur Jones. And remember, I told the story, the first, a Tasmanian maestro that came over and played for Fitzroy, but after only a year and a bit in, enlisted in World War One, and sadly never returned. So he, in a way, completes a career over a hundred years ago with a similar, with the same name. So it's quite a story, I think. Beautiful connection between two players of very different from very different times. I will say this about Richards and Eugle Hagen. This is what practice matches are for, is aren't they, Rowan? For players coming up or players fighting for a spot in the team to really make an early impression and say, I want to be there round one. Now, Eugle Hagen has time, Richards less time. So I think the doggies would be delighted that Ed Richards is saying, I want to be, and I'm good enough to be in the best 22. And just to finish off on that game too, uh, a couple who were missing for either side, Jake Stringer um, has groin soreness, but uh, Essendon confident he'll be right for round one. Anthony McDonald, Tip and Woody, um, he's the worry, been out for some time now, both with injuries and personal issues. Um, so let's hope he uh, uh, gets it together and is able to play early in the season. The doggies today without Bailey Smith, a bit of a groin strain for him. And Alex Keith, a bit of a back issue, but both um, the dogs assuring media today would be right for round one. Um Let's talk AFLW now because uh, it has been a really thrilling few days of AFLW, quite ironically in a way, because I, I saw some respected AFLW voices bemoaning the lack of close games this season. Well, the last three that we've seen played, one on Wednesday evening, one on Tuesday and one on Monday, might just be the three closest games of the season. In the first, Melbourne coming from uh, 22 points down, I think it was, against um, Brisbane to pinch an outstanding win uh, over last year's premiers. Last night, up at Metricon Stadium, a draw between Gold Coast and the Western Bulldogs. The Bulldogs coming from four goals down um, and uh, having a chance to win too. Bonnie Toogood, unusually, missing everything 
with a chance to uh, even score a point to win the game with about 90 seconds left on the clock. So that one was a draw. Both teams still in the finals hunt. And then Wednesday evening and St Kilda's tragic season, sorry to say, finally continues. Still without a win. They were leading GWS with 15 seconds left on the clock conceded a 15-metre penalty to Catherine Smith. She converted the goal from the goal square and GWS ended up winning by two points, 6-5-41 to 5-9-39. They can't take a trick, the uh, Lady Saints, Finey. No, they can't. Their last four games, three absolute nail-blinders could have gone either way. And then they played the second-bottom team, Carlton, and got the most almighty pasting and only recorded two behinds against... Carlton's nine goals plenty. So uh, four games upsetting in very different ways, but I guess very upsetting nevertheless. Rowan, there is a story, of course, just bubbling along, and it's a big one in the AFLW, and that is that there are many, many participants or stakeholders, as we like to give it the modern vernacular, who are saying, you know what, AFL, thanks for the kickstart, it's been nice, but you're sort of um, asleep at the wheel here a bit. And next season, we want a proper season of football. We want to be compensated because we are taking time out of our professional, personal lives to be these semi-professional in-limbo footballers. And a suggestion that without the sort of wages and full season that allows them to be footballers, there will be a number of players not playing and maybe joined by the entire playing group. So... They don't want to use the word strike. They simply want to use the word respected. And they quite rightly feel that they've done enough of an apprenticeship. Let's get out of purgatory and send them to heaven and give them a proper season and a proper career. Yeah, certainly uh, it's not going to go away, that one. And um, rightly so. I think it's a really important issue. just wanted to say, too, the standard of last night's game between the Suns and the Bulldogs was superb. It was... um, we seem to keep saying this in the last couple of weeks, but some of the best women's games I've seen, I think, have been among the, the last few played. That was just a terrific game. The Melbourne-Brisbane game was a terrific game as well. Uh, Adelaide, I'm just momentarily stumped on who they beat last round, but that was a corker of a game as well. And just on your Saints too, and uh, at the risk of a little bit of self-indulgence, the one positive or one positive for the Saints this year is the outstanding progression of young Tilly Lucas-Rod, who has been their best player and apparently almost uh, best on ground again today um, for at least the last four or five weeks. She has been outstanding. Now, Tilly, I watched play as a young girl because she played with my daughter, Andrea, for East Melbourne Knights. In fact, as I say this, I'm looking at a team photo from 2013 with Andrea and Tilly hamming it up next to each other in the photo, but she Rowan, was... how, how do you spell Knights for East Melbourne Knights? Knights, K N I G H T S. That's an odd nickname for a women's football girls football team. Uh... It, it seems as though that must be East Melbourne's nickname, and they didn't really do much about it when they added a girls or ladies team to their ranks because I don't think there were many. Female nights. Well, that's a fair point. That is a fair point. But let's uh, let's not quibble over terms at this stage. Anyway. Yes, yes, let's quibble. <laughs> um, 
Uh, I like being at that age now where uh, a few people playing at the elite level I've actually seen play right through as uh, from junior level as well. So anyway, good on you, Tilly. Great to see you having a great season, even if your side isn't. All right, a couple more things on the news agenda. One, uh, the AFL uh, released a statement on, I think it was Tuesday, um, launching a crackdown on umpire abuse in a bid to stop umpires walking away from the sport. Now, this is an incredibly worrying stat for me, and uh, as a former umpire yourself, I'm sure you share those concerns. They have identified a shortfall of 6,000 umpires at community football level. That's how short we are of umpires to umpire football across the country. That is a tremendous concern. Well, Rowan, it is of grave concern. And my personal experience is, and first of all, let me tell you, it's so rewarding. Anybody my age, younger, just retired, your age, our age, fitness, be part of football, it's great. And generally, fun. But where it falls away is amongst those people who have this old school thinking that umpires are fair game. You can cop a whacker in the crowd, but sometimes comes from, especially in reserves level, from the coach's bench. The closer the game, the more desperate they are. And to be honest, not always that brilliantly versed in the rules. And they see it through their, only through their eyes and through their club's eyes. And no matter how close the game, I am saying to anybody out there with the responsibility of being a coach, assistant coach, runner, a player on the reserves bench, it doesn't matter what the score is. Be bigger than the scoreboard and just accept the decision. And that should be the motto of local football. Yeah, well, I, I was interested to see, you know, how this will play out in practice. Because I, I seem to remember this being flagged last year. Um, and I guess this is more sort of detailed info about exactly how it will work. There are, are six provisions in which players can have free kicks awarded against them for abuse, quote, unquote, um, and the first few of them are obvious and uh, provisions which already exist. And that's, you know, uses abusive, insulting, threatening or obscene language towards an umpire, behaves in an abusive manner, intentionally, unreasonably or carelessly makes contact with an umpire, um, disputes a decision of an umpire, fails to follow the instruction of an, of an umpire or intentionally or carelessly engages in conduct which affects, interferes or prevents an umpire from performing their duties. I think the key here might be uh, E and F disputes a decision and fails to follow the instruction of an umpire because, you know, I, I haven't noticed too much going on in the AFL environment, but perhaps players have been pushing the envelope a bit in terms of how much they dispute a decision. The other one about failing to follow the instruction of an umpire, I think that can often be a tactical thing, players hanging onto the footy and refusing to give it back to allow their, uh, you know, their teammates time to man up on their opponents. So um, perhaps that's a more subtle way it's been pursued and that we're going to see a crackdown of that nature. Either way, I don't think it's going to make a huge difference in how games are umpired because I don't think you're able to get away with abusing an AFL umpire now if you're an AFL player, do you? Absolutely not. Rowan, that is the most useless, toothless, pathetic attempt to address a major problem that I think I've ever heard. Are they fair income? Is this to address the shortfall of umpires nationally at all levels? 
Because if they are fair income, whoever drafted that piece of piffle should be shown the door. Number one, instruct AFL commentary teams, particularly television commentators, to stop this endless harping and abuse of umpires. That is the number one contagion. Not the players, those commentators who think that they are still part of some boys club and feel that the need to defend a, a player who's given away a free kick or been reported at the expense of an umpire. It is disrespectful and it is, I think, at the root of an overall lack of respect for umpires. That's one. But two, go and find out the other reasons why there are not enough umpires because this wallpapers or papers over many, many sins, sins of scheduling, some leagues are very poor at giving umpires decent notice of where they're umpiring. I've had umpires that I've umpired with umpiring a game only to be called from over the fence saying that they're at the wrong ground. They should be umpiring three grounds over. And if need be, if it is as serious as they say, compensate umpires better, that will draw more umpires because people have bills to pay. It's as simple as that, Rowan. Yeah, no, fair point. Uh, I mean, in fairness, they may well have had those discussions with various media outlets, but perhaps don't want to publicise them for fear of just drawing more attention to it and perhaps media outlets taking the uh, the opportunity to write, you know, we're being censored sort of pieces. So oh, if you're not, if they're not put on public notice, it won't change. Uh, that, what a softly, softly approach that would be. Yeah, well, you know, it uh, wouldn't be the first time they've tiptoed around the broadcasters. They certainly, uh, the broadcasters seem to get more and more of uh, what they desire. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah of course. Of course, more, more Muller in the pocket for everybody. Correct. Everybody, everybody gets a little bigger feed at the, a much bigger feed at the trough if you uh, exceed your expectations for sales, for figures, for profit. What a tawdry way to run what is supposed to be the national game. All right, let's just finish off the news segment quickly with uh, what would be a news segment without COVID-flavoured news. And uh, I guess, well, good news for North Melbourne fans. Jed Anderson has uh, acquiesced to vaccination and as a result is back in the training program at Arden Street and will be part of North Melbourne's plans for 2022. Big sigh of Relief breathed by all Roos fans and officials there, Finey, but uh, not so with Jack Darling for the Eagles. Still uh, a big if there. And uh, I see Dom Sheed had something to say about Jack Darling's situation too. And I think uh, that could best be framed as uh, basically saying not overly helpful. So a bit of a watch this space there. Yeah, Rowan, I know this might not sit well with you. It might even rankle, but if you have a look at Anderson and Darling, I guess the external reaction would be Darling remains stubborn, Anderson more reasonable. You know who's being stubborn? The AFL, because they're not moving with the times. We have gone through a an Omicron variant which has spread like wildfire through the community and we're just learning to live with it. Now, the Northern Territory, I think, is the first state or territory to drop the need for visitors or people entering the state to be vaccinated. What I'm saying is the double vaccination for a footballer is obsolete because it has been proven not to stop the spread of the disease, though it may indeed stop the severity of the disease. Now, if a player wants to take that risk, that's fine. But if not having the double jab 
doesn't risk the playing group any more than would be the normal situation or the competition itself, then the AFL are adhering or sticking to a policy that simply doesn't meet the Omicron, the, the current environment with Omicron. Now, the AFL need to stop being so stubborn. Liam Jones uh, has already lost a career, it seems. Darling is in the process. Uh, there are players in AFLW similarly struck down. I'm not saying they've made clever decisions, but if that is, doesn't the AFL say that they need to be, what's it, versatile and something or whatever? Well, they're not doing it at the moment because it doesn't match the situation. Uh, yeah, except I don't think it's particularly fair to all the players who perhaps didn't want to have it either, but did because yeah, they I, knew I, they I, had to. I, and that is exactly why players have to be told, you know what, it's probably not fair. Not all of you wanted to have it. You were sort of forced into having it, but we told you that we need to be, what is the term, versatile and something? Uh, agile, flexible and agile. Correct. And this is the flexibility and agility that we impose on players, and that is we felt at the time it was best medical advice. Nobody's saying that what they did at the time was a, a, a medically unsound decision. We all felt that the best way to defend the spread of the disease was by vaccination. Now, the new, the new thread defies that. So let's be flexible and agile. Let's say we have this ever-changing environment. Apologise if you want to players who were basically forced into the double vax, but don't penalise those who don't. Yeah, I, I don't agree with this, but... Uh, why, but why not? I've well, got to ask why not, Rowan, because well, the logic, logically... It doesn't, it doesn't endanger the competition whether you've been double vexed or not. Yeah, I don't anymore. like, the, I, don't like the mess- the I don't like the message it sends. To defy, to defy the medical advice. Well, both, That's fair enough. both that and that players who willfully defied what was legislation get away with it. Uh, I don't like that. But look. Time to move on. Um, we could have these sort of debates until the uh, the sun comes up. We don't have time because we've got a lot more to get through, specifically the next thrilling instalment of our countdown of our favourite movies and music. Vinyl and video. Pressing rewind on our favourite music, movies and TV. Well, it's getting exciting. We are down to number five in our top 20 movies and music list. And boy, have we got some uh, big money spinners, box office money spinners for you this week. On the movie front, I'm going to go first, Viney. Um, and uh, some pretty heavy stuff content-wise, I'm sure you'll agree. I know you're a huge fan of this film, and uh, rightly so. It is a fantastic piece of work, uh, probably arguably the weightiest film by this director, and that director is none other than Steven Spielberg, and the film from 1993 is Schindler's List, the historical drama based on the Thomas Keneally novel Schindler's Ark, uh, a true story, of course, about Oscar Schindler, German industrialist who saved more than a 1,000, mostly Polish, Jewish refugees from the Holocaust by employing them in his factories during World War II, starring Liam Neeson, absolutely brilliant, as Oscar Schindler, uh, Ralph Fiennes as SS officer Amon Goth, and Ben Kingsley 
as Schindler's Jewish accountant, Itzhak Stern. It's human, it's moving, um, it's horrifying, um, just scenes of brutality that somehow, because it is largely in black and white, just seem even more stark. I don't know what it is. I know, you know, I've never read anything about why it was shot specifically in black and white, but it's certainly a decision that works. But uh, boy, this is a fantastic film. I mean, you can't come out of it glowing, um, but uh, I do remember weeping freely at the conclusion of this film in an uplifting sense because of that final scene. And, and for people who haven't seen it, I don't want to spoil it, so I won't mention it, but, um, you know, an incredibly uplifting um, finale to this film. But, uh, yeah, any historical drama about uh, the Holocaust isn't going to be fun viewing, and uh, this certainly isn't. But, look, I know this is a favourite pick of yours, so I'm, I'm tempted to let you talk about it more than I do, but uh, I would say this is probably Steven Spielberg's finest hour. Yeah, favourite's a tough word. You see, I, I've seen the movie and I'll never watch it again. I'll never watch a minute of it again. You know, I cried during it, but I also... You know, I just had such a heavy heart. I lost most of my family in the Holocaust. My parents survived. I mean, Melbourne is an amazing place to grow up as a son, a child of a Holocaust, Holocaust survivors. You see, all my parents' friends were Holocaust survivors. So that was the social group. They were all, you know, auntie this, uncle that. I thought everybody survived the Holocaust because everybody I knew were Holocaust survivors. And some of them were referred to as Schindler's Jeden, which is Yiddish, which Schindler's Jews. And I knew quite a few of them and they were well known as people who'd survived because of Oscar Schindler, slightly different from others. Look, you know, Natalie's grandparents, my grandmother's still alive, my wife's grandmother, grandfather just passed and the grandfather had the numbers tattooed on his arm from Auschwitz, a, a permanent reminder of the horrors of this war. What Spielberg had done in and around making this movie was he chronicled the history of the Holocaust through the words of the survivors. Now, Rowan, my father in particular never, ever spoke of his time during the war. It's too difficult for him. My mother, snippets. But both of them, as part of a project funded by and totally um, administered and um, shot by Spielberg and his people around the world, my father and mother both separately spoke for 45 minutes into a camera to record their history of the Holocaust. And I never listened to my father's or watched my father's until he passed away. And I won't my mother's. So Spielberg, not a son of a Holocaust survivor, his family had emigrated to America earlier, was nevertheless acutely aware of this act of inhumanity aimed at his people, my people. And it's very, very close to me. It's very hard to watch any Holocaust movie, I find. I just find it so difficult to watch them. And this one is rightfully, of all the ones I've seen, and much like Saving Private Ryan and those people who saw that, who fought and landed at part of the D-Day landing, there are elements to this which 
Holocaust survivors have said, yes, that's that's how it felt and looked. Well, it is an outstanding movie, and uh, you know I think everyone should see it at some stage. Uh, terrific work by all involved. Um, speaking of horror, uh, well, have you got some horror to talk about? Fortunately, however, this one is fiction. Your number five movie, please. Maybe moviedom's most famous psycho horror thriller, certainly presenting a character that tops most people's list as movies or Hollywood's or moviedom's most feared evil character. I speak of the 1991 Jonathan Demme masterpiece, Silence of the Lambs. Now, this is... Uh, Roman, I don't, I don't like horror movies. I don't know if this is a horror movie or a psycho thriller, but what it is is a an incredible movie, of course, cleaned up at the Academy Awards. The amazing thing is, did you know that Anthony Hopkins won the Academy Award for Best Actor in 1991 and he was only on screen for less than 20 minutes? I think that's a record. Yeah, it's a record that'll never be beaten because it's almost Robert Klomp-like in that those people who <laughs> voted that year were embarrassed to find out that statistic. What a great Even, analogy. They should have got the two of them together for a shot, Robert Klopp with his TV and Anthony Hopkins with his Oscar. Well, you know, I mean, any member of the Academy can be called on on a given year to cast a vote. And it was pointed out to them that actors have acted in movies that are shorter for triple the time and only been given co-star billing. How did they work out that he was... And you know how they worked it out? They justified quite rightly by saying, does that movie... Well, how how does that movie exist without its main character? And did the acting of that main character add quantifiably to the total quality of the movie? Yes, 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 yes. Having said that, though, Jodie Foster, absolutely brilliant too, I thought. Best actress. Best movie. Best, you know, a number of Academy Awards. This is a, 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 I will not go into the details of the movie because it, the whole movie is a spoiler. And there are maybe people who have not seen it or have seen it and have forgotten what happened in it. That would be an odd person. I'll just say this, that there are moments in that movie that I will never be able to recreate again as a moviegoer, because first time was best time. The first time you meet Lecter deep in the bowels of a mental institution doubling as a correctional facility from an inescapable cell where he's being tormented by the doctor charged with the job of looking after him, or in inverted commas, Lecter presents as even behind bars, perspex glass, bound up, you know, in a box under the sea, under the, you know, he's still incredibly menacing and dangerous. And that's the beauty of him. Like the shark in Jaws, he barely has to be on screen to make you scared. Foster, brilliant. She is wide-eyed, but determined. And, you know, there. this is a movie where the bad guys are bad and the goodies are the FBI. It's a simple story of find the serial killer and Lecter, the imprisoned serial killer, lends a hand. It's a good movie. It is a great movie. And, uh, yeah, I'm sure oh, I'm sure a very large percentage of our audience have seen it. But if you haven't, certainly... Well, hang on, if you haven't, Rowan. Yeah. 
Do you know what you look like sitting there with those cheap shoes and expensive handbag? You look like a rube, a small town hustling rube. Good nutrition might have made you long a bone, but you're just one generation away from being white trash. <laughs> all right, very good. Um, all right, there are our number five movies, Schindler's List and Silence of the Lambs. Now, I said, we've got some heavy hitters in this segment this week. Time for the musical component. My number five song of all time, Finey. And when you're talking heavy hitters, uh, well, you're talking about one of the all-time great rock bands, uh, not arguably, uh, undoubtedly, Australia's... Actually, you bet. Australia's most successful export uh, or import given that uh, most of them came <laughs> yeah. from overseas. But what a band. Who am I talking about, Finey? The great ACDC. I am indeed. And from that incredible catalogue of Rifferama, what song could I possibly have chosen? Well, I chose this one. And uh, as usual, I've got a little backstory to it. But my number five song of all time is from ACDC. It is If You Want Blood, bracket, You've got it. Unbracket. Let's hear a little sample of it right now. Well, look, I'm not surprised, Roman, that you found a magnificent ACDC song that isn't mainstream, probably not your casual of fans' first pick or even 10th pick or even a pick that they're familiar with, but it has all the requisite riffery and, and, and pulsing throat, you know, that, that throat-tearing vocals that is ACDC to the bone. It's it's the riffing, I reckon. It's the it's the rhythm guitar of Malcolm Young and the lead of Angus Bon Scott's vocals. It's a whole package, though, and it it just rocks this song. And I love the swagger of it. I love the lyrics. The backstory is that it's incredible to me now. But ACDC, the I reckon most Akadaka fans would say that probably their best two albums or best three albums probably Let There Be Rock, Power Age, Highway to Hell. Ironically, they were overseas when they recorded and those albums were on the market. We didn't hear them. We really didn't hear much of them, to the extent that um, the only song off the Highway to Hell album I'd actually heard, I think, at least uh, 10 years after it came out, was in fact Highway to Hell. And I can remember one night 
um, watching Rage pretty late at night, and they had a an ACDC segment on, and they played Highway to Hell, and I'm sitting there watching, wondering what will come next. And it turned out that they recorded about half a dozen clips uh, in the same studio setting for that album. And after Highway to Hell, they did clips for Girls Got Rhythm, uh, Shot Down in Flames, Walk All Over You, which is very close to my favourite Akadaka song, and If You Want Blood. And I remember watching this package and just thinking, this is incredible. These songs are absolutely sensational. And it just sent me into a an Akadaka frenzy, I think. And I, I liked them already, but I just it went to a whole new level after I heard the entirety of the Highway to Hell album, then Power Age, the album before that, and then Let There Be Rock. I mean, their compendium over that late 70s, um, early 80s period up to and including Back in Black is just phenomenal. They're four of the best rock albums Australian music seen. So anyway, um, have a listen to the whole thing if you haven't heard it before and have whatever you do, have a listen to the album Highway to Hell because it is sensational. But that is my number five song, Akadaka, if you want blood, you've got it. What have you got, Finey? Rowan, I remember the first time I ever ate coriander. It was in a Vietnamese restaurant in the city, and I thought, wow, I love that, and I've enjoyed it ever since. I remember the first time I heard this song, and it just jumped out at me, and it combined elements of music that I loved all in one place at one time, and I thought, this is my coriander. Have a listen to the cramps back in 1986. Cramps and uh, that song, of course, What's Inside a Girl, uh, marginally more um, made for public consumption than Can Your Pussy Do the Dog. Um, and when you said that is your style, I absolutely get where you're coming from, Finey. That does strike me as your style. It's a bit, I don't know, it's a bit sort of almost rockabilly. It's a bit punky. Yeah, well, they called it psychobilly. Yeah, I'm hearing I'm hearing a bit of Dead Kennedys. I'm hearing Correct. a bit of yes, yes, good. You know, US garage rock. Um, but yeah. anyway, tell us why you like this one so much. Well, Wall of Voodoo, Dead Kennedys. I, I love that. I, I really liked that rock more than rockabilly, rockabilly punk sound. Um, first of all, what an entertaining band. Sadly, Lux Interior. Gave it his all, including his life. He was the lead singer. But uh, despite the fact that on stage, a freakazoid of immense uh, energy, but also craziness, highly intelligent individual, and I think a, a lecturing professor at one point in time in, in um, literature. Look, they were a, a band of style, all Cramps albums, are written, all Cram's writing is a font that is, 
Remember the TV show The Monsters? I do. So if, if people can picture how The Monsters was written, that's how everything the Krabs produce is written in that font. So it was it was style, but not over substance. Look, a concert, you go to a Krabs concert, you probably by the end have seen enough cramps and are ready for the salt. But that song, first of all, it's funny as well. If you listen to it, in terms of humour, do you like um, Primus? Uh, I probably haven't heard enough of Primus, but, yeah, they're, they're of similar flavour, yeah. aren't they? Well, it's up there with Winona had a big brown beaver, yeah. and it's similarly sort of funny. It's not, it's not rude. It's just somebody saying that he finds girls so quizzical he wants to know what's inside them. A little macabre, but psychobilly, rockabilly, surf punk at its best. It's certainly not mainstream. Uh, I'll give you that. So number five for Finey is The Cramps, What's Inside a Girl. For me, number five, ACDC, If You Want Blood, You've Got It. Down to number four next week, definitely on the run home. But time now for a little bit of rumination on matters of life. Life Hacks, building a better world. I'm going to let you go first in this segment, Finey. That's nice, Rowan. I'm not ruminating very seriously. Well, it is a serious matter for me, but I don't think uh, I'm going to set any lives in a, you know, in, in... any direction other than the ones that they're going. So don't consider this to be something to take to the grave with you, but I'm going to say it, and I've said it before, and I'll say it again. Rowan, I'm so glad I live in the era of cheese twisties. I, I cannot tell you how much of a pleasure it is to eat a pack of cheese twisties. Now, all right, they might not fill them as they used to, and they've come up with a lot of peripheral flavours. They're currently doing a nachos twisty that is aggravating. The chicken twisty is a maybe once a year treat when you have some sort of mineral deficiency. But the cheese twisty, Rowan, we live in golden times. I, if I was a pharaoh, I'd be buried with my pharaoh hounds, 17 wives and pack of twisties. Is that it? That's it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Short and sweet. Don't All you right. like them? Don't, don't, uh... don't, and they haven't changed. From the day I had my first one, 50 years ago, half a century of consistently good twisting. Where do you stand on chicken twistings? I, I said you have once a year if you've got a mineral deficiency. Oh. It's like a salt lick for cows. Yeah, yeah. It's weird. No, no, I, I do like them. They, they were very good for putting in buttered rolls when you were yeah, at school. Oh, yes, yes, yes. I used to suck them at school because I, I valued them so much. I sucked them down to a mushy, mushy pulp. I didn't use it for anything. I swallowed it. But Chicken twisties to me strike me as somebody decided they like the flavour of um, the chicken powder in, in, in instant chicken soup. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's definitely got that feel about it. Um, all right. Now, I'm sorry to uh, continue on a, uh, a well-traversed uh, theme here. In fact, I asked the question, has my house move been the longest house move in the history of the world? Because I reckon I've been talking about it now for well over six months. Does it feel like that to you? No, but I, no, look, it's been a long time, but I, I honestly believe that 90% of the time was spent ruminating and then you got your finger out. 
Yeah, it's probably about right. Jeez, uh, the money added up too, I'll tell you. But I don't want to talk about that. What I want to talk about is that sort of post-moving slump, which I'm definitely in now and, and certainly would prefer to ruminate rather than actually break out of. And that is when you absolutely bust a gut movie. Like, I, I can't remember being that exhausted for about five days running. We get it all in. We get rid of all the junk. You know, don't forget we're moving from a huge double-story house into a, a rather smallish flat. So there's a fair bit of possessions to shed at some cost and heartache. Did all that. Got it all here. But now there's this business where you've got to actually start the business of living in a new place. You don't know where anything is. You're still finding out the various nooks and crannies and quirks of this place you've moved into. I've already had the plumber and the electrician out here within a week um, just to fix up little, you know, teething errors, but just things like finally we've got a beautiful new um, cooktop an induction uh, cooking cooktop but I didn't know you had to have special saucepans for it, did I? Uh, absolutely, yes, yes. So, I, I know so, that dynamic. So I've got one functional saucepan. So I can't cook anything. So we haven't been to the shops. So we've been living on bloody takeaway now for over a week and our, our guts are, are visibly rotting away. Um, the dishwasher. Uh, why? What is it about instruction manuals for appliances are always absolutely illegible the thing was, we got a Bosch dishwasher, oven, cooktop, and washing machine. And I thought, well, we know the Germans are efficient. We know they're fantastic at appliances. These are going to be so simple and easy to use. And look, we managed to work them out. But the instruction manuals, their instruction manuals are just as bad as those cheap ones of another culture, I, I was about to say, but decided uh, I'd probably better not. Couldn't understand. And, 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 uh, leave Queensland manufacturing now. <laughs> I couldn't understand a thing. So, you know, you go Why to didn't do... you read the English part of the instructions? Well, that, that was part of it. I couldn't find the English part. There was about seven different handbooks in, you know, Portuguese, Dutch, Afrikaans. Um... You know what's funny? That's true. The handbooks now have so many more languages. I'm, I'm sort of thinking, <laughs> why are they putting Portuguese in? I, I was guess. waiting for but, the one for in Brazil. I was waiting for the one in pidgin English. Yeah. Well, the one in Portuguese could be for Portugal. For Brazil. <laughs> yeah, but I'm just saying that, you know, they, they just used to have the classics. And now, oh, it's a book on itself. Anyway, just another whinge, and we'll get there in the end. But at what stage does it what, – What's I know someone else has just moved into a newish place, and they've been there now three months. In fact, I know this person very well, and they claim still not to have unpacked fully, which probably doesn't surprise me knowing this person. But, you know, at what point can you actually call a new home your home and be comfortable in it, know where everything is and feel totally at ease? I'm looking forward to that feeling, Fanny, because I'm sick of feeling anxious and uncomfortable. Oh, there is a moment. There is an actual, a, a recognised moment when you're, when that house becomes your home. What is it? First time you have sex in it. Yeah, I've got a feeling I'm going to be waiting a while on that <laughs> front. But, uh, uh, just, just one thing on, on moving. Yeah. One of the big things about moving is new neighbours. Have you, have you gone over with a, 
a bunt cake and, and, and some scones or something? Well, this is actually a significant thing because uh, I've never I've never lived in an apartment before, so I'm getting used to the vagaries of apartment living. And I've I've said good day to just about everyone. So uh, yet uh, very informally, I'm sure I'll get to know people. But um, I think is there only- a communal pool or a communal sauna? Uh, fortunately, no. Um, uh- it, it was only night two, I think, the people who live below were knocking on the door about the music. Um, the funny thing was he, he was terribly apologetic about it. We were we were out uh, remorsing each other because I felt terrible for having kept them up. I, I, Not I could, big fans of Mark of Cain, are they? Well, no, it wasn't that loud, though, Fanny. That's the thing. I, I bet it was Mark of... <laughs> oh, Rowan. You've got to realise the modern construction... It's not your big double brick anymore. There are some very thin walls. Well, you know, clearly. To, I'm telling you, this is true. Now, that what I'm telling you now is true. They used to say, oh, they don't make apartments like they used to. You can hear next door. That was about 15 years ago. Now, you know what they say? They don't make apartments like they used to. The bloke next door got pushed, pushed over and he fell into our place. I mean, those walls can be very thin run, so careful. Well, this is an older block. I think I think this block's oh, that's good. That's sort of good. early eighties, to be honest. But I would have thought the the more obvious direction for the sound to travel in would be on the same level you're on, not through the floor. So, um, well, put it this way: if I ever do have sex in my new abode, I'll be uh, putting a gag over my mouth. Um, well, you'll, you'll be on your own, so you should. Yeah, do. yeah, I probably shouldn't have said that. It was really stupid. Anyway, uh, that is. <laughs> Life hacks for this week, and I promise I won't do one about the house move after this. I think we've uh, squeezed enough juice out of that one. All right, time for some more nostalgia. Fantastic footy flashbacks. All right. Uh, I'm quite happy with myself for digging this one up, Fine. He hadn't seen this at all. And we know how there isn't much footage of finals pre-1966. So you're always happy when you find some. And uh, I can't remember how I turned this one up. It's out of the blue on YouTube. It is footage of the 1962 preliminary final between Geelong and Carlton. Um, a famous game with a significant result um, and a sequel, which, if anything, was even more significant. Now, uh, if that doesn't appear to make sense, watch this clip and then hopefully it will make sense. This will give uh, plenty of people heart attacks in the crowd today. Geelong 13-7 to Carlton 11-13 are still in front by one goal. It's six points the difference. The throw in on Carlton's half-forward line. Nichols goes in, he's almost exhausted, tries to knock the ball back, it's picked up by Martin Cross, he kicks the ball towards Carroll, who's on his own, and Carroll takes the mark, Carroll's 45 yards from goal, he's on a 45 degree angle, and a goal here, the siren could sound as he kicks it, would be a tie. It's a good kick, it's it's a goal, it's a goal. The scores are level, and we've been playing six minutes of time on. It could be a replay next week. What a rest statement I made, Tony, about Geelong not letting them come back. But what a game, what a ding-dong battle and an exhibition of the game that all this crowd here really love. They've gone mad. 
That's Carroll's second goal. Messengers, there are more messengers on the field than there are players. Here's the bounce up now. Nichols is still on the ball. Geelong knock it forward, oh. but Silvani sharks it. He's grabbed over the shoulder. It's free kick to Carlton. Six and a half minutes of time on gone. We've been playing for 31 and a half minutes. Silvani from the back line, or from the centre of the ground, kicks the ball to the half-forward line. A mark here could solve it. It's marked by John James. He marks it on the half-forward line. That was a brown line middle mark. That was hurried personified. James from centre-half forward uses a drop kick. It's a beauty too. It's a long kick into the full forward line. Roy West goes up. The siren goes. And it's a tie. Broden, that is a great get. You know, I love old football. Mm. And that's a famous game. You can certainly fill in the blanks regarding the replay, but that's a famous draw and Essendon prosper, of course, by going on to winning the flag. But good pickup, and, and I don't know, you You must have been down one of your famous deep rabbit holes to have found that one. Yeah, I, I, I honestly can't remember how, but uh, Ken Hands was the Carlton coach, and they, of course, had had a a really uh, dismal run since winning their last premiership back in uh, 1947. So uh, a lot of joy among the Blues at uh, even getting away with a draw. In fact, one of the trainers, when the siren went in that draw, um, jumped into the arms of, of Ken Hands. He was so uh, overcome with joy at the fact that he even got away with the draw. The replay, uh, a very famous finals incident, another thriller between these two teams Carlton leading by five points when literally on the siren Geelong full forward Doug Wade who had missed the first preliminary final incidentally with a thigh injury he came back kicked six goals Doug Wade six goals out of Geelong's 10 to obviously stamp his authority on proceedings took a mark on the siren but sensationally had the mark disallowed and a free kick paid to his opponent Peter Barry for Wade allegedly holding on to Barry's shorts. Very controversial free kick at the time. Probably deprived Geelong of a win. Saw Carlton head into a grand final against Essendon. Uh, not much good luck for the Blues in the big one. They were pretty um, comfortably beaten by the Bombers by 32 points. But two amazing preliminary finals, a draw, and a replay. And the fact that uh, the first of them was captured uh, and there is surviving footage and commentary of it, I think is a wonderful thing. Let's hope we can turn up some more great living, breathing footy history of that nature. What do you got for us, Fanny? Well, first of all, thank you, because that's, that is the exact football nature of which I love. I mean, I think many people do. Let's go back to 1995 a game between Hawthorne and Collingwood. And, all right, it wasn't a great season, particularly for the Hawks or necessarily for the Pies. But this was a ripping game of football with a nail-biting finish and almost one of the great comebacks in league history. Let's have a listen in. Holland and Moncourse. Damien wins it clearly. Williams couldn't quite. Collins, Jarman, left foot inside 50. Chris Siska, Hudson onto it. Still Hudson, handball, dear, he's got to Dunstall. Can he get it? Dunstall caught, gets his kick away. He's got it. Four goals to Dunstall. Well, spectacular goal. 
too, Jason Dunstall, just when it looked like uh, it was all over. He bobs up with this one. A little bit of a questionable handball, that one, I thought. In fact, a very questionable handball, but not the matter. One roll of the dice to go for the Hawks. They need a clean getaway here, Hawthorne. Everything's going to work for them. Jarman sneaks it. Graham. Still Graham. He's going to kick it. Long. Well, I've got to say, that's a very good get too, Fanny, because I'd completely forgotten about this game, but uh, I'm pretty sure I was there covering it. Now, you remind me, and uh, thrilling finish. Did the siren actually beat Jason Dunstall taking that mark? I think it did. I think you can just hear the siren uh, start ringing before he takes the mark, although, of course, the, the key is when the umpire actually signalled full-time. Um, and, uh, well, clearly, he thought he must have signalled it before Dunstall took the mark because he's called full-time. But would the mark have been paid? I mean, it was just a mark, I reckon. Uh, you could certainly not argue had the umpire not paid the mark. Do you know if they said they would have paid the mark or not? Yeah, I think Peter Carey indicated uh, that, as you listen to an extended play on the commentary, which I found, they believe that Kerry said, yes, uh, it was your ball, Mark, but the siren has denied you the mark because it went before you took the ball. And I guess Collingwood, who whose supporters are still old enough, those old enough to remember blueing about that night grand final with Kerry Good, are wondering whether or not that technology could have won them a grand final a few years earlier because that was a far closer call than the Kerry Good one. Went in their favour, thankfully. Now, do you know who kicked three goals for Collingwood that night to be, obviously, an important part of the win? I haven't I haven't seen the goal kickers, but I'm tipping I know who you're alluding to. Uh, would he be a former Hawthorne player? He was. He didn't really do much post his Hawthorne career for the Pies or the Swans, but step on Raiden Tallis's head. Though, I must say, he was pretty effective. Kicked three goals to Dermy. Dermot Brereton, a key part of the win. Of course, Dermot uh, played in the famous first Anzac Day game between Collingwood and yep. Essendon as well. Um, the other surprising thing about this is the uh, general bon homie and good humour of all concerned, even after that controversial finish with Craig Kelly, none other than Craig Kelly, extending a hand to help pick Jason Dunstall up off the turf after the uh, unpaid mark. Um, and I thought, gee, what's going on here? The stakes couldn't have been too high. Well, Cur well, that's it. Yeah, that's what was going on. Neither, well, that, team, that, were, neither they, team were pressing for much. Well, Collingwood actually was. I remember the last game that season, Collingwood was still a chance of making the finals, but they lost to Sydney. Collingwood finished 10th on the ladder, but Hawthorne, um, unbelievable downturn for them at this stage, finished 15th. So second last on the ladder with seven wins after having appeared in the previous season's finals and, in, in fact, every final series before then, from 1994 all the way back to 1982. I mean, so, it is amazing. That team included Platten, Langford, Darren Jarman, Paul Hudson, Nick Holland, mm. Daniel Harford, Mark Graham, Shane Crawford, Jason Dunstall, Paul Deer. 
Andrew Collins for that team shouldn't be finishing second bottom. No, it's pretty uh, definite changing of the guard vibes, but uh, good memory and good Friday night game of football in front of 51,746. Good stuff. Two good footy flashbacks, fantastic footy flashbacks this week, which brings us to the end of the show and uh, the preseason continues to hot up. We'll have more practice games to analyse, scrutinise next week. More AFLW number four in our countdown of favourite movies and music. More fantastic footy flashbacks. More life hacks. More of this. Hey, Rowan. Yes. You know what you should do during the week? What? Make your house a home. Well, uh, first thing I better do is go and buy some saucepans. It'll actually cook something for me. And then I better learn to cook. Uh Thanks to your company, everyone. Uh, you can support us uh, via the ACAST support page wherever you listen to this podcast. Or better still, become an official Footyology patron via the many Patreon links dotted throughout the wonderful footyology.com.au website. And uh, look out for our Tale of a Tape series, a thorough analysis of your club's chances for season 2022. Ronnie Werner on the case there, doing a wonderful job. Richmond, the latest club to have been assessed. They are running up on the site today. So check that one out, Tiger fans. And everyone who barracks for a club earlier in the alphabet than R, you'll find your team assessed on their website as well. So check it out, footyology.com.au. Thank you, linesmen. Thank you, ball boys. We'll see you next week.